oh boy where do we begin <laughs> what uh what pop culture news is worth talking about that will still be relevant in how many weeks when we release this um i honestly don't know <laughs> in one two three four five weeks <laughs> we're five weeks out yeah no five I weeks guess- four weeks S- six weeks <laughs> The point is very unlikely. <laughs> yes. Um, so should we just j- dive into it then? Yes. I'm buzzing. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Okay. Hello and welcome to episode three of It's Giving Camp. I'm Saffron. And I'm Fabiola. And today we are talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Saffron's choice because she loves the show. <laughs> I love this show. I love this show. Okay. You're going to be the one carrying this episode. <laughs> I have a little bit of a preamble. Um, uh, uh, I feel like a little addendum I need to say while we talk, uh, before we talk in about this show. Because this is a Joss Whedon created show. And... Uh, In case you were living under a rock, in case you somehow don't know, Joss Whedon is a, um, he's not a great guy. Let's just say that. Um, He has, there's uh, multiple accounts um, from his ex-wife about uh, his abuse. There's um, multiple actors that he's worked with um, in different productions have come forward and talked about his abuse um on set and honestly it feels very um racially and misogynistic coded but so he's not a great guy what do we do with that what do we do with that when watching this show that he's made um well i tend to go with the opinion when you're looking at media made by not great people is that you can't fully ignore how their beliefs might have influenced what they made but you can still watch it engage with it and take away what you need from it and especially in things like television where there are multiple people um who worked to make the story that it is is so so buffy uh is as much um marty noxon and jane epsonson jeff jane isn't it espenson jane espenson's i only know her name because she also wrote for battlestar yes um and sarah michelle geller is a much uh as much someone who created buffy summers so um, there's a great New York Times article that actually our former professor, Jen Malkowski, was quoted in um, talking about how we still uh, how we can still engage with Buffy even after um, actors have come forward with talking about Joss Whedon's abuse. So I can we'll, we can link that article in um, the show notes. But basically, you know, I think it's every person who has um like an experience with Buffy that you know it's everyone's gonna have a different opinion and if this episode or or watching this show is not something that you want to do totally respect that and understand that um but I I still go crazy over these guys um (laughs) My Buffy was uh, one of my mom's favorite shows. She showed it to me when we kind of first started watching television together. So I, it has very like personal significance to me. Um, I watched it in high school when I was a similar age as Buffy. So that's, it also really resonates with me for those reasons. Were there a lot of things in it? Are there a lot of things in it that uh, are dated and bigoted even in the 90s when it was airing yes 
but part of loving a piece of media is criticizing it. So with that all aside, Fabiola, what what are what are your impressions of Buffy? I guess I'm asking because I'm curious. Um so I've only watched at least like five episodes of Buffy and a few for like, like course stuff and then another fewer for this episode. And so like basically my what I knew about the show beforehand was that it was like it's like this big cultural touchstone for television and like female characters in like genre work as well um without me on this show and it being something that I love would you have considered it as some like one of the things to talk about when talking about camp and television possibly because of the whole like John, not just like the genre setting, but also like Buffy herself and like all the practical effects that are in the show. Buffy gets described as campy often. Um, even in that New York Times article I mentioned where it's it's talking about the how, you know, the, the kind of conversation around Joss Whedon in the show, it's still in its little summary of Buffy calls it, you know, smart and campy. Apparently Joss Whedon is quoted as saying that he, he hates it when people call uh, Buffy camp because quote, I don't enjoy dumb TV, hmm. which sir, I think you were, you're strongly misunderstanding what camp is and also Buffy is camp. Like, the concept itself, it, Buffy the show is pitched as, you know, Joss Whedon said it's, it's about taking the little blonde girl who goes into a dark alley and gets killed in every horror movie. The concept is subverting the, the, the horror movie genre, making this the, the kind of the damsel in distress, the hero. And also, I mean, her name's Buffy. Yeah, but it's also like not just about that subversion, but like the specific type of character that Buffy is. Like she's like feminine and girly. Like she's not the type of female character that tends to survive in genre stuff. Yeah. Or even be allowed to be like even likable or for people to even root for her. Yeah, I mean, she's kind of a valley girl you know she was um you know grew up in california loved shopping was a cheerleader before she became a slayer when there's a lot of female characters in television who are who have like the strong female characters many of them reject other women in their lives and kind of have not like other girl types and Buffy is a character who throughout the series often distance herself um, and is, you know, there's no one else like me, but it never has to do with her femininity. It has to do with her position as the slayer, the one, the chosen one. And she has her friends and she, and that is the theme that like goes throughout the show that makes her different than all the other slayers is that she has her best friends with her and they help her and they grow along with her. And it's really a show about growing up. Um, the other thing that it, the fun horror movie kind of playing in subversion is the, um, the high school is hell metaphor uh, or high school is the high school is hell tagline where for, for the first three seasons, when they, the characters are in high school, um, like, teenage anxieties uh are literalized as real monsters and uh real supernatural stuff and i think when people say campy that's what they think of people think of like the silly cgi and and monster makeup and the over choreographed fight scenes where you can usually tell it's a body double a stunt double um, and I think that's what people think of when they think 
of Buffy as camp. Um, and I could have like recommended we watch just a bunch of like season one stuff, but I decided to pull out uh, four episodes um, from the series for us to watch that uh, feel like kind of stand out moments of like performance and uh, like the show's like kind of self-reflexivity and I know. Uh, so this, the episodes were the Zeppo from season three, uh, Buffy versus Dracula from season five, the Storyteller from season seven, and because you can't talk about Buffy without talking about Once More with Feeling, we watch Once More with Feeling, the season six musical episode, which I found to be the most camp, I think, of all the episodes. Yes. So. We, I have thoughts about individual episodes, but uh, I'd love for you to just like, I just want to hear your thoughts. I have many thoughts. Okay, go, go for it. <laughs> um, so in the first episode of the Seppo, I just found Xander really annoying. <laughs> I think that's a lot of people say that. A lot of people hate Xander. The Seppo is the episode... He came, I came around to him that I love Xander. So it's funny that you're just like, eh. I feel like it was mostly just the writing. Mm. Like the writing for Xander just like couldn't help itself but to like make little jokes every second. I, I mean, maybe that's, you haven't watched enough Buffy because that's, I think the point is that every single character has to be witty at every single moment. Yeah, and like that got me into thinking a lot about like Buffy speak and at large Whedon speak and like how deeply mainstream that type of writing is now. Yeah. And now it's overdone. But at the time, I mean, at the time, it was no one else was doing it like them. No one else was was writing in that way. There's this great, um, it's someone uploaded it on YouTube. It's a featurette from the season three DVDs that talks about Buffy speak. Watching it, they do praise Joss Whedon a lot in it. <laughs> uh, I did forget about that, which is okay, man, that's, he's not some god. But the thing to me that I think is important about Buffy Speak is, yes, a big part of it is pop culture reference, pop culture reference, pop culture reference, and not just like contemporary pop culture references, like a variety of pop culture references, you know, in the Zeppo. The titular Zeppo is like a reference to the Marx Brothers. Yeah, and that is not something the average teenager might make a reference to but all of the characters in Buffy have that wide breadth of knowledge but the thing that I like about Buffy speak is when it's the the turning nouns into adjectives and verbs into nouns and um there's a kind of a rhythm to it that very much feels language that I use. Um, going back to like what I was saying earlier about how Buffy in its writing um, is more than just the result of Joss Whedon, to me, Buffy speak is, is the same way. It's more than just um, Joss Whedon making pop culture references. It's the writer's having an understanding of the characters and each character kind of uses different idioms and has a different pace to their language and you can you, when a character says a line you you can out of context you should be able to tell which character said that because it each character speaks in its own way which i think joss whedon himself didn't understand because then you watch like the avengers which is something just he wrote and it's not as good the the characters feel less um 
each character feels like they they're less distinct in their yeah. speaking patterns. Like that's one of the like big complaints of like the MCU and like larger like Whedon speak is that like every character sounds the same. <laughs> which which is why it is so like that's why I'm like everyone should watch this one featurette or like because in the actual Buffy, in original, in Buffy, that's not true. Characters, there is an overall stylistic pattern to the show. There is, but it's not, um, there is, there feels like there's depth to it. <laughs> it would be fun in high school to have a staff of 35 year olds writing your dialogue you know because you could just be witty all the time and in some language that's english so it feels real natural to me that that buffy and the scooby gang uh, would have this kind of way of talking to one another that's very individual to them each of our characters has their own distinct voice how come the sudden calisthenics aren't you sort of naturally buff buff do you have other thoughts about the zeppo i thought it one of the like things that I wrote down was like for some reason with with the, the Buffy episodes I kept coming back to the sense of artificiality that comes with camp and in this mm. episode I noticed that like like there was this one scene that ended with Oz like saying something and then his sentence just cuts to another scene which starts with like an ending to the sentence that Oz started and and I just like thought it was like an interesting way to show the show's like sense of knowing artificiality mm -hmm. without like without like just just the dialogue and just like it was like the dialogue in tandem with the form of the show yeah that is something that it was something i never noticed before i was watching one of the video essays i can't remember now which which of the video essays it was mentioned in but this the video essay as passion of the nerd mentioned that a lot of something that happens a lot in buffy is transitions via dialogue like dialogue match cuts um and as soon as i became aware of it so it's it's all over the place in Buffy where someone would say something and then the very next moment the very next scene is like either a contradiction or an answer to the question that's posed at the end of the scene and fun fact that is something that happens a lot in Platoon of Power Squadron my favorite web <laughs> series and I'm no I know for like I'm positive that that's directly the influence of Buffy because I know Jake Jarvey loves that show so um is that but is that something that you found that you enjoyed yes i like i definitely found it more compelling than buffy speak <laughs> mm. um the other reason i personally pulled well there's two reasons that i pulled the zeppo out one it's just I think it's an interesting Xander case study and how it kind of like fits into our conversations about like masculinity because Xander is a character who's very much throughout the show trying to struggles with with toxic masculinity and um like patriarchal expectations um and I feel like he is trying to perform a version of masculinity in the Zeppo until, you know, with getting the car and, and taking the girl out um, that he, by the end, rejects and realizes that he has his own place. Um, but the other reason I think the Zeppo is so interesting is one of the first times that Buffy as a show is like self-parodying. And I realized that that might be something that's hard to understand without the context of the rest of the show. If that's just like the first episode you watch, it might be like, okay, why this feels really like cliche, but it's cliche on purpose because Buffy is a show that 
at that point, there had been two, three ends of the world, you know, it's the apocalypse, it's the end of the world. And so you just have this episode where middle of the school day, it's like, it's the end of the world. And you're like, why are they, this feels so silly. And that's the point, I think. You're being silly on purpose. <laughs> yeah. The Passion of the Nerd, um, who I mentioned in his video essay on the Zeppo, um, he says, quote, the Zeppo is the type of episode that makes Buffy, Buffy. It's a show that can look at its own developed cliches, point at them and laugh as if to say to us, you thought that was the point. Um, because to me, it, and the Zeppo and, and these other episodes I pulled out are moments where the show is taking on new style style you know being extra stylized it's from one character's point of view um there's more it's relying on cliches or melodrama or these um one-off character you know episode tr uh, conventions like uh they have you know there's an alternate universe episode or the musical episode and it does that to explore something deeper and it has fun with it but then when you peel back the layers you're like okay take you know it's like once more with feeling it's like oh there's this musical episode and there's all these choreographed dance scenes and bright colors and then it's like but it's a pivotal like character moment it's it it reveals these songs reveal these like deep character anxieties and tensions and um while also being very like on the nose in its visuals and lyrics what what is it like to watch that episode without I mean, I'm sure it's different to, from my experience, having seen the show and that episode multiple times where I get really quite emotional watching it because it's, I care about these characters and it's, it's, it's a moment where there's a lot of darkness that unfolds in that season, season six. Um, I wonder what it's like to watch that episode just examining the style in it. Yeah, like what I, what I mostly took away from this episode is how much it embraces um, artificiality and spectacle as a means of truth telling. Mm. Snaps to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt like this was like of the episodes that we watched. This one was the most camp in the sense that it, it really committed to the musical and to how like deeply unrealistic a lot of the scenes are just as a way to communicate truths about these characters it's it's deeply unrealistic but also they've ground it within the mythology of the world too which i feel like is really it's rare to have musical that explains why everyone's suddenly singing and dancing but in buffy they're like oh it's a demon which makes sense within the context of the of the show. But I also feel like in, in comparison to like other shows that have done musical episodes, I feel like one of the reasons like this episode really succeeds is like in the aforementioned commitment of it. Cause I feel like a lot of other musical episodes either like half-ass it or try to make it really cool Meanwhile, this one's like, okay, we're doing like a straightforward musical and we're gonna commit to it fully. I have said on some occasions that my favorite musical is, is Once More With Feeling. And I feel like sometimes I get some looks for that, but it is a musical. It has all the acts and the arcs. <laughs> Do you have a favorite song? I know I really, I really like um, "Under Your Spell." Yeah, <laughs> which there's layers to that one. <laughs> there are layers. There is look. Um, 
you make me come pleat it's not that much of a stretch like it's it's there it's sung well she's literally her arches her back is arching and in bed um the thing about under your spell that i think is so interesting um that whole sequence is uh willow and tara's costumes um because i mean buffy is a show that is known for its fashion but in once more a feeling it feels like a lot of the outfits people are wearing are costumes in a way that um they don't what did i write down it it feels kind of out of place in comparison to what is normally worn on the show like tara is wearing like this flowy dress and this like embroidered corset um that feels both very like witchy and disney princessy um and that adapt that definitely adds to the kind of artificiality to of the whole episode this one's one of my least favorite songs maybe of the episode but the song between xander and anya like the staging of it i i thought was really cool in the sense that it was like fully committed to a kind of modern version of classic um musical numbers between couples Mm -hmm. and again those costumes are um like they're clearly costumes (laughs) exactly (laughs) in once more the feeling the dances are choreographed and with references to real like dance movements and eras and styles um different dance styles that that it that feel more um like thoughtful or, or intentional than i don't know i've seen clips of the riverdale musical episodes and it feels like they're just like like bobbing up and down i'm like what is what is going on here what's going on is like them trying to make musical scenes cool instead of like completely committing to it yeah well musicals as a concept it's already like a heightened sense of reality it's an altered sense of reality there's no way to make that cool (laughs) and like when you try to do that more often than not it just ends up failing (laughs) like you you end up looking less cool when you try really hard to be a cool musical Did you have any thoughts about uh, Buffy versus uh, Dracula? I thought it was a really cool concept, like especially considering like how much of like a, a vampire story icon Buffy has become. And so it, it really felt like a kind of like a, a Godzilla versus King Kong moment. <laughs> yeah. That feels like another episode, like the Zeppo that is, um, it's kind of playing into the self-parody, especially, or, or at least trying to, my, one of my favorite shots, honestly, in the entire series is in that episode um, where when Buffy is in the, the, the cemetery and is meeting Dracula, and of course is like such a fangirl about him, then and when Willow and Xander show up, and at that point, they're, you know, it's been 
five years four years that they've known buffy and they're just like xander has like an aloha shirt on and is like holding an iced mocha and just like strolling through a cemetery and i love that contrast of like the bright colors and the casualness with the like dark emo brooding prince one of the things that i really took away from this episode is how much it reminded me that i love the juxtaposition of like summer settings with spooky stuff yeah and like i i i love that they they like start the episode at the beach and then like halfway through there's like oh there's an old castle in sunnydale (laughs) i love that so much and i almost wish that it wasn't lampshaded because then later riley's like oh i've never seen this before I'm like, no, just embrace the fact that, like, yeah, there's, like, 50 yeah. cemeteries in, in Sunnydale and suddenly there's a castle. Like, you don't need to comment on it. It's more fun if that's just there and part of it. Yeah, and, like, that's that's one of my, like, problems with Buffy speak and Whedon speak is that, like, I feel like it often risks the camp by, mm. like, just very overtly pointing out things yeah like it's already camp but it would have been even more camp had they just like gone along with there being a can a castle in Sunnydale without mention yeah do you do think watching these episodes do you do you still think it's fair to call Buffy camp yes I feel like it's kind of like on the lower end of camp in the sense that like it often really doesn't rely on it but it does like Joss Whedon should recognize that there are camp elements in his show (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm. and I think individual writers are able to understand it and have more fun within like the the boundaries of the show than others um because these episodes that we watch they kind of stand out as like specific moments where there's self-reflexivity and um heightened performance but all in all especially as the show goes on it becomes more serious and it becomes like these these complicated character studies. Well, I love that. I I I come to Buffy for the characters and I have a good time. But it the episodes that are fun and that really stand out are the episodes that are unique. I almost wish now that I had like picked out episodes like um Halloween or Fear Itself, which are the Hallow like the Halloween episodes of Buffy, they they usually are are fun episodes that kind of also play around with um like Halloween is an episode where um on Halloween there's this one like guy who uh he sell he's selling Halloween costumes and anyone who wears his Halloween costumes on Halloween then become what they were dressed as. Um, and like Fear Itself is an episode where um, it's like some frat guys have a haunted house and then they they accidentally summon a demon that makes everyone's fears like manifest and become real. And it, it is somewhat self-aware of like, oh, this is kind of silly, and there's some reference to it, but also they have fun with it. And like in the Halloween episode, Spike is like, this is neat. Like, and he just like is having a good time. (laughs) And like, speaking of Spike, I I really appreciate that you sent a bunch of Spike clips because there's like barely any Spike in the episodes that we watched. And I do feel like, he is one of the camp elements of the show. He is. He's really cool, but also like failing a lot. Yeah. 
So I read a really, really good um, article that I believe was originally published on like a like Whedon Studies blog. Um, I can't find the original link, but I, I found a PDF version. It's called Queer Eye of That Vampire Guy, Spike in the Aesthetics of Camp. Uh, it's by uh, Cynthia, Mason, Mace, Cynthia Mason and Marnie Stanley. Um, he dresses like a cartoon character in the sense that he has the one outfit. <laughs> yes! Okay. Can So look, Spike is my favorite character. Spike is my favorite character on Buffy. I'm not ashamed to say that. And from what I've seen, he's also my favorite character as well. (laughs) (laughs) Part of the reason, and I couldn't pick just one episode or two episodes for you to watch to understand him as a character. I I sent those compilations, um, which (laughs) in itself, I think those videos could be studied because um, as like fan, like the way the fan practice of of talking about Spike and pulling out his funny moments do, they both help reveal his complexities and also do take away some facts from like the other complicated aspects of his character where he is a vampire, he is violent. Spike is layered and complicated and he, he, I mean, part of like, that what you're saying is like he's acting all badass but also seems kind of pathetic comes from the fact in season four he gets a chip in his brain because there's this whole plot where there's like the military in sunnydale and they're like testing on monsters <laughs> so he gets a chip in his brain where he can't hurt any humans and it like delivers him a super painful shock so he becomes um impotent <laughs> And of course, there's lots of jokes about his lack of violence being, you know, a a metaphor for his lack of masculinity. But even then, he's Spike is always a character who performs from the very beginning moment you see him. He has this bravado and charisma. He's incredibly stylish, like you said. Uh, he's got that one outfit that he always wears. He's stylish with his one outfit. <laughs> and uh, fun fact, that leather coat is a woman's uh, coat, at least in canon. Slay. <laughs> he took, well, he took it from a slayer that he killed um, in the 70s, and then he wore it. Um, but he didn't wear it. This is the thing though. He doesn't wear it because it's like a trophy. He wears it because he likes it and he thinks it looks good on him. Slay. (laughs) Um, and I mean, I don't know if it was in the compilation I sent you. There's one of my favorite moments with him. You know, he like Buffy barges into his crypt. Like she always does to get information and like pulls the, uh, stone cover off the crypt, you know, the, the crypt that he's sitting on, the coffin he's sitting on, it pulls it out from under him. And he's like, hey, these are wet. And he's like painting his black fingernails. <laughs> but on the accent, so I was talking to my friend uh, Percival and he was like, that accent is like so, so like dumb. You can't, it, you can tell that he's American. It's like a fake accent. And I was like, that's what makes it fun. Yeah. The, um, Mason and Stanley article that I read, uh, I believe they describe it as um, a mockney accent, you know, a mock cockney accent. It's part of his performance. Another another spike thing that is fun is his crypt. You know, so there's the candles on the walls and 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 it's all like, yeah, uh, serious, except then he's also got a, a couch and his television where he watches soap operas. I'm just, I'm just like, he and Elvira should hang out. If we're talking about Spike, I think he's another thing that Joss Whedon didn't understand about his own show. Um, because uh, there's a James Marsters interview that I watched where, honestly, it's an, uh, partially an account of another account of how toxic of a work environment <laughs> Joss Whedon had. But apparently he was really upset at Marsters for being like making Spike cool. 
and was like, "You, he's evil. You know, vampires are evil. Why do people like him? He's supposed to be evil. And it's like, do you not understand? He's actually like an interesting character because he defies those binaries of good and evil. Also, also what's wrong with character being fun? Exactly. <laughs> like, it, it's so ironic that Buffy is a show about growing up and understanding nuance. And Joss Whedon didn't, and thought that he shouldn't have nuanced antagonists. <laughs> Were you born this big a pain in the ass? And what can I tell you, baby? I've always been bad. Quickly. I'm the very spirit of vexation. What's another word for gleaming? You were texting me while you were watching that, um... You think Andrew might be your other favorite character? I, I really liked Andrew from the, the last episode that we watched, which was, um, storytelling? Storyteller. Name? Storyteller. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he mostly just felt like a breath of fresh air in terms of like his dialogue compared to everyone else's dialogue and like the way he delivers like his dialogue. Mm. Like it just felt like much more naturalistic and like because he like speaks really awkward especially when he's like his little vlogs um but like yeah I was I was like it's it's so interesting how naturalistic speech within like the Buffy speech context is camp <laughs> oh that's a fun way I've never thought of I never thought about it that way Storyteller is an episode so interesting because there's this kind of reoccurring theme in Buffy of these performances of these um, kind of, you know, either episodes are from specific characters point of view, but in Storyteller, you actively see Andrew constructing that. You see his, you know, the opening is him sitting in an armchair and fancy fireplace. And then you get the knock and you cut to and you just see him, you see him with his his camcorder and you realize that it's a performance, um, which I think is is really fun. And it almost feels kind of this like uh, this evolution of the show to have in its final season. I think even from like the very beginning of the episode, it, it very much felt like a performance because like most of the like the only other time in which we saw like characters speak directly to camera was in once more with feeling and that's because yeah. they're in a musical yeah um but I, I i i just think it's i think it's fun that we get to see how that performance is constructed with the yeah. camera and then like talking about spike too going a bit back to that is that in uh storyteller we see there's that like it's such a small scene that i had yeah, forgotten about i it. took note of that scene that's like one of the scenes that i took a note of where, where spike's like you know you see him and he's like i told you to stop filming me and then you hear andrew behind the camera um be like oh, spike there the light was behind you and spike's like, oh okay and then like does it again like you you're we you know as a viewer that that spike is putting on a uh, you know kind of a performance throughout his character because you see moments of his vulnerability but it's also so fun to see him like actively constructing that with andrew i i like did take note of that because it was like another instance of like knowing artificiality without it being like directly like referenced within dialogue Mm, like mm -hmm. it was just simply the performance in combination with like something he says to another character yeah and I do think also like Andrew and his relation 
to performance and his relation to camp in this episode, it, it feels important to to bring up um, how queer coded he is. Yeah, because like when I when I when I texted you, I was like, I really like this queer coded character. Yeah, because <laughs> I couldn't remember his name. But I Andrew. was like, what's, what's what's another good descriptor for this character so Saffron knows who I'm talking about? <laughs> um, and, and I mean, it's not even like, it feels like barely like subtext even. It's never said that Andrew is gay, but there are multiple references to him being in love with Warren, um, who was his best friend but also warren was not a great guy at all um and i mean and then storyteller there's that scene where he's watching the videotape of xander and anya and he's mouthing along to to anya's lines and then like watching it back and like so that you can like hear what xander says to him you know over and over again tom link the actor who plays andrew is gay um and apparently in the comics, because there are, um, the story of Buffy continues on in a Dark Horse comics run, um, Andrew does come out as gay in the comics. I guess I feel complicated about the fact that it's like, okay, yes, Andrew feels gay. And it's, it's, it's honestly, it's there in the text like that he has feelings for men. Um, so I don't feel like it's necessary for him to come out, but at the same time, I do wish that it was in like the canon of the show. If it wasn't in the canon of the show, yeah. because that because less people are gonna read it, that means less people are gonna know about it. And it's it's yeah. always nice to have it said aloud, you know, or at least shown. For God's sakes, Andrew, you've been in here for thirty minutes. What are you doing? Entertaining and educating. Why can't you just masturbate like the rest of us? I could talk about Buffy for forever. Um, I don't, I don't have, I guess, any more specific thoughts related to camp and how Buffy is camp. I can scroll through my notes, but I mean, do you have any like questions or thoughts that you still have? I don't know. I was wondering if you had any questions for for me. <laughs> I mean, my questions have mainly been like. Did you like it? Did did you enjoy it? Did you would you watch more of it? <laughs> um, I, I I did, like I've already seen it a few times, but I do like once more with feeling. And the the Dracula episode was fun, but you you probably don't have enough like emotional attachment to the characters to want to sit down and watch seven seasons. No, that's fair. Um, maybe I'll just send you, I'll, maybe I'll just give you the list of the best, uh, Spike episodes and you could watch those. Cause there, I could give you, I could give you a full list of Spike episodes. And honestly, you could probably just watch that and like, have a good time. <laughs> You're just questions. What, what was I thinking? Do you have like specific, you know, thought, like, are you, are you at all curious about like the lore of Buffy, the appeal of Buffy or, or. Like, I, I do get the appeal. Like, I'm just mostly, like, like, Buffy speak really backfired on us as a society. <laughs> you, you're really hung up on that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting, because for me, I think the thing that I feel like society and academics got hung up on um was buffy as like the ideal um representation for female characters in television because i love buffy i think she's a fascinating character and it is for a long time it, it was quite rare to see teenage girlhood in television and see a, a young woman grow up but buffy is still she is a specific kind of girlhood yeah she is a white middle class girlhood 
Um, and there is queer representation on Buffy. Willow comes out as gay and gets a girlfriend, but the show is so white. It's so white. I say that as a white person. <laughs> it's depiction of, I mean, it's treatment of BIPOC. It's not great. I went to so many panels at conventions that would talk about Buffy and everyone would be like, can you think of another example besides Buffy? And people would be like, oh, well, there's this character, this character, but they're like adults. And now I think the last couple of years, we've had more shows. We've had a, 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 a more of a diverse selection of, of, of interesting teenage girlhood. I mean, I've yet to cross them off my watch list, but Yellow Jackets and The Wilds, First Kill, which is you know, coming out when we're recording this. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a show too worth talking about. Um, and obviously in this context of camp, it's super fun. Yeah, like, like I think the iconography of, of Buffy Summers is really cool yeah like the image of her like fighting vampires is just a really cool like instant character iconography but like yeah I, we're never gonna lose that influence that this character will have on pop culture and i and i love her and i'm grateful for that i'm also ex so excited to see what future shows and what can you know what contemporary shows are going to do with playing with new kinds of female archetypes and hopefully there are some that are um that embrace the the camp and embrace the and uh, are commit to kind of the ridiculousness and the exaggeration of the kind of characters they are how, how does that feel like a place to end? Yeah, yeah, that, that feels like a really good ending spot, a good end note. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it for this episode of It's Giving Camp. You can find us on Twitter at Giving Camp Pod and on Instagram at It's Giving Camp Pod. And that's all lowercase one word. Our theme music that you are listening to right now is by Harrison Murray. I'm Saffron Heftigal. I'm now online at Galbhefta. And I'm Fabiola Liano. And you can find me on Twitter at Fabiola underscore Liano. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoy our podcast, please recommend it to your friends and give us a rating online. <laughs>